big welcome to all of you out there and a really big welcome to Lindsay Seychelles. Um, it's very nice to meet you and I'm so excited to hear about your things, hooves and magazine <laughs> and everything. So please tell us uh, first, how, how did you get there? How was yeah. your life? Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you, Anne, for having me along. This is uh, this is lovely to be here to talk about barefoot and to talk about hooves and to talk about everything that we've been doing over the last few years and a little bit about me. Uh, I have owned horses for over 25 years, well over 25 years now. And I was a science teacher in the UK. So I taught secondary science and science in further education up to A level. And also I taught access for adults into uh, professions such as nursing, that sort of thing. That's so biology, chemistry, and a little bit of physics. My my thing was really biology and chemistry, but I, I did do a little bit of physics when when I had to. <laughs> as I got older, actually, as and I got I got more into my teaching, I I I found out that I really did enjoy physics, but I didn't enjoy it when I was at school for some reason. But anyway, I was a science teacher, and I had a couple of ponies. I uh, lived in, in the countryside in Cornwall in the southwest of the UK and I had a couple of ponies and one of those ponies not long after I got him started to get laminitis. I, I didn't understand the warning signs, I had given him too much grass, I thought that good turnout every day was what they needed and then perhaps sometimes I'd put them in the stable and I'd give them a little bit of hay but I I. I I'd seen some bagged feeds in the in the in the stores and in the agricultural stores, so I fed him some of that too. And what I didn't realize, what obviously we all know now, is that diet was a, a massive problem. So he got laminitis, um, and he was only a little Shetland. I had just had the two little Shetland ponies, and he was only three years old. And we were told by the vets and the farrier to put him into a stable where he remained for four to five months and he just progressively got worse he we had x-rays done they they nailed on little heart bar shoes onto his feet which we've still got today these little tiny little oh, heart bar shoes that yeah. they made specifically for him and he, he just was getting worse and his little companion poppet used to stand outside his little door. We had his door lowered so he could see out, but we weren't allowed to let him out. We were told that this was the advice we were given at the time, which incidentally hasn't changed much in all of those years. This wow. is over 20 years ago, well over 20 years ago. And he progressively got worse. But during that time that he was getting worse, I, I was going on a journey myself I was asking myself a lot of questions I was a science person I knew about biology I knew about chemistry I knew about those sorts of things and and I started searching on the internet there wasn't an awful lot back then there were a couple of books out there there were a couple of books by Jamie Jackson which I I devoured I I ordered off Amazon and I devoured those and there were a couple of books by 
uh, Hildred Strasser, the German vet who had written books on navicular and how horses can go without metal shoes. And they were quite scientific. So I really liked those and I and I really devoured those as well. But th there was nobody around me that that could give me any guidance or information regarding barefoot it wasn't about barefoot it was just about laminitis that that's what I was dealing with I had this pony who I was told was getting worse he had rotation in all four feet he had rotation worse the rotation in his hind feet were far worse than they were in his front feet even though at the time before the x-rays the vets had said no no we don't see laminitis in the hind feet that was what I was told and then they x-rayed him and found out that in fact he did have uh, wow. rotation in his hind feet very badly. Wow. So uh, as time moved on, I was terrified of feeding him hay because I knew that hay contained starch. And I thought, well, that's that's not going to do him any good. And I was just so confused. Mm. But I was trying to find the right kind of information. And finally, I read a little book by Jamie Jackson called Founder. He's written one since called uh, Laminitis, I think, that's a similar book. It's on the same sort of vein, but it was about his experiences with laminitis in America as, as a professional and also his experiences with um, wild horses who were caught out of where they sh out of their range in areas that, that made them sick. And they they all went through the same process that I did, questioning why these animals were getting so sick. So I read this book, and in the little in the back of this little book, it also um, alluded to something called a track system. And I looked at this and thought, well, maybe this is what I need to do. I certainly the thing is, I need to get him off the grass. This is what's apparent now. And remember, I was teaching then, so I was I was still at, at school. I was still doing all of those things. And Sonny was locked in his stable every day, and I'd feed him in the morning, and I'd come home at the evening, and I'd feed him again. And in the in the early days, he used to kick the door. He was a very sparky, bright little character, and he used to kick the door trying to get out. And uh, little Poppet would stand by his little door, like I said earlier, and she'd mm. stand there waiting for him. And and months went on and eventually Poppet moved away from the door and wouldn't stand there anymore. And he stopped kicking and his spirit was going. He, he This little oh. pony and it was breaking my heart and I could, yeah. the field was right by my house. So I could, I could hear him neighing and calling to me and, um, and it gradually started to stop. So I knew he was losing his spirit and we had a final set of x-rays done and he had rotated even further so everything that I was doing was making it worse so I was because I was feeding him bagged feeds and of course he wasn't moving and the trim wasn't correct but I didn't know all of that although I was starting to see images of of what real good natural feet looked like and I could definitely tell that Sonny's feet did not look like that they were very high heeled they were very block like uh and so I knew that we we had issues all over the place. We had issues with the trim. We had issues with the diet. We had issues with the management. All of these things I picked up just by trying to do some research myself. So the vet turned around to me and said, this is the end. We can't go any further with him. He needs to be put to sleep. And we had him booked for a few days hence. And I came home and another book arrived, which was all about how to trim your 
ponies hooves it was called the horse owner's guide to hoof care by jamie jackson again these were the only books that i could get hold of and i think pete ramey had one out back then too and uh and i i said to my husband right what we're gonna have to do is take this on ourselves we've we it, it's uh we either go for it and see if we can give him a chance or we have him put to sleep and I really want to give him a chance. I don't feel that we have explored all the avenues yet. And so we did. We sacked the vet and the farrier and kindly, respectfully, we just said, we're going to try something else and see if this works. And I did say to the vets, I would keep in touch with them. And I did say to the farrier, I would keep in touch with them. And he did get better. In those early days, we didn't really know what we were doing with regards to the trim. We were we were sort of a bit blind, leading the blind, but we worked it out. We we I studied hard and I found as much information as I could, and it it Sunny got better. Sunny went out on a track. Sunny improved, and Sunny, I, I only just lost Sunny uh, a couple of months ago from something completely unrelated to to hooves he had hip dysplasia because he was a little Shetland and unfortunately he dislocated both of his hind both of his hind hips Bob hind hips both of his hips yeah. and and unfortunately we lost him but he was fit and healthy to the very end and never had another bout of laminitis so we kept him laminitis free for another 24 years of his life Wow. So, so that was wow. incredible. Yeah, it, it was incredible. And and I got a, a bit of a reputation back then. The vets thought it was quite amazing. And they got a, I got a bit of a reputation in my local area as the Shetland lady. So yeah. if they <laughs> if they had trouble tr problems with Shetlands that had laminitis, they used to say, well, you maybe need to speak to this lady because she did something that we couldn't do. So yeah. that was quite quite great yeah um, that was great and, and yeah. nice of them because uh, often they they just mm. <laughs> and, and yeah. in fact going on in my career I found that the latter what you've just said is more is more truthful that, that, that really they're not very interested no. when an owner decides to go against the advice of a vet and find and go down an alternative route usually the vet and usually the farrier washes their hands of that owner and they yeah. don't really want more to any more to do with them and when wow. we've encouraged owners to go back to their professionals back to their vets and farriers and tell them the successes that they've had just like you've said usually it doesn't go down very well or they're, wow. they're not really interested they don't want to listen and it's a shame because that's mm. what stops progression in this industry and that is one of the problems that we have in, in yeah. this industry yeah wow. so that was me that was me that's how I that's how I started and then I I started training with a, an organization in the UK way back in 2006 I think it was and then I went from there to America to train directly with Jamie Jackson and then I I don't I already had uh my own clientele by then I was already trimming in the UK but I felt that I had holes in my training I didn't feel that I was confident in some of the things that I was doing I still felt conflicted about some of the things that I was being told and, and unfortunately that is the equine world all over it's full of people's opinions and uh, quite a lot of myths 
and uh, quite a lot of false beliefs. And so I felt conflicted myself. And I yeah. felt that, that at the hoof level, there were things that I wasn't completely confident about. Although at the diet and the management level, I was I was very confident about that side because, of course, I have my science background and I'd really looked into that side of it deeply. But when it came to the hooves, even professionals that I, I was asking questions uh a great deal of questions like I was getting very conflicting answers so I felt I needed to go straight to uh one of the biggest barefoot experts in the world to Jamie Jackson and I went and spent some time training in his organization spent some time with him and that really cemented everything uh that I I knew and helped me eradicate a load of things that I was very conflicted about and so therefore when I came back to the UK, I then started, I, I'd already given up my teaching job. I'd already told the headmaster at my school that I couldn't teach there any longer because I, I had, I know it sounds a bit naff really, but I had a calling to go and help other horses to go out there and do what I felt an awful lot of people weren't doing at that time. Yes. And too many people were losing horses to laminitis. And, and that was really the driving force behind everything. It was about mm. laminitis. It was about pathology. It wasn't really about barefoot and taking the shoes off and how awful shoes are. It wasn't anything really about that. It was, it was mainly about the fact that there were so many equines who were so sick, who were being put to sleep, who, like Sunny. Sunny would have been put to sleep and I would have been none the wiser had I not really worked hmm. very hard at trying to find out all this this information to, to to try and get him better so that that's me that's how I got into it <laughs> yeah and when when you're here alive a lie uh, so many times it it became it become a truth so it's uh, yeah it is it is it is you're so correct there that you hear so many lies that become truths in the equine world. And it's yeah. a very strange, uh, um, it's a very strange industry. I, I, I obviously cut my teeth in the teaching industry and it's very regulated. You, you have to be checked. Often in the UK, we have an organization called Ofsted, which come around to schools and they make sure that teachers are doing the right thing. And they make sure that the, the, the management teams are correctly managing their staff. And, and you're, you're under the cosh, as it were, all the time to, mm. to bring results with your, with your students, with your kids that you're teaching. And, and it's a very much more of a professional industry. And then when I came into the equine world and I hadn't really had my, when I was a kid, I, I was hugely into horses and lots of riding, but I was the only one in my family that was, I never came from mm. a big riding background. I went to a, a riding school every Saturday and I helped out there for, for years. And, and that's how I learned all about horsemanship really and learned about riding, but I didn't really take much notice of the feet back then. That was just the job that the farrier did. Yeah. And then as as time moved on and 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 I got older and I went to university and then I, and then I I started my teaching career I I kind of left all that behind until eventually we got Sunny and Poppet and I as I got into the industry I was just so shocked mm -hmm. at 
at the way that people behave and the, the, the way that the, all these lies become truths and they're not truths you know yeah. but how equally that confuses owners desperately mm. like it confused me like I was conflicted too and it confuses yeah. owners so much and then they 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 don't know who to believe they're, they're listening to their professionals they're listening to their vets and their farriers quite rightly so because these are the yes. people that they are paying to to help them yes but we're not moving on. It's, it, it really hasn't moved on from from 20 odd over 25 years ago when Sunny was about to be put to sleep. We are still hearing those exact same stories mm. today. So we're not moving on. There, there, there's a lot of there are huge problems in the equine industry. Yeah, uh, and it is it is a it is a very interesting industry when you compare it to so many other professional industries that are just not just not the same as, as the equine world yeah but but you have make made a difference um and of course it it would be like rings in the water that that some start and some things other um in in another way yeah it's this is true yeah. I, I one of the reasons that I started the barefoot horse magazine was because I was out on the road driving all over the southwest of the UK meeting lots of people who had barefoot horses who we were generally helping through laminitis and pathology this was the main the main aspect of of what I did really it was all about rehab it wasn't so much about just taking the shoes off like I said earlier it was it was really about rehabbing these horses with their diet and their management and and getting healthier hooves and bodies and minds etc and that's that was the essence of my job but because the way that it was back then even back then you know 15 years ago and longer people more than that 20 nearly 20 years ago people were well what's barefoot I don't know anything about that what what, what is this about you know we kept ponies without shoes when we were younger but uh, and many years ago but I don't really know what barefoot's about and because the barefoot lifestyle is not just about shoe removal it is about so much more than that I found that many of my clients were uh, felt alone felt like they were on a lonely journey and mm -hmm. they look forward they very much look forward to me turning up every six weeks to to have a good chat with them and make them feel better and and one minute they they when I let when I'd leave them they they'd feel so good and then gradually over that six weeks they'd feel worse and worse and worse simply because they were had peers and friends and people around them set, telling them that they weren't doing the right thing then I'd turn up again and they'd be like oh thank god you're here again you know and so <laughs> <Yeah>. so I <laughs> thought I, I, <laughs> so I thought I'll start a newsletter Yes, so I started, yes. I started a newsletter so that I could send it around to my clients so that they could see that there were other people out there just like them. And it made mm. them feel so much better and they loved it. And one day one of my clients said to me, you know, Lindsay, you really should start a magazine because we've got nothing for us out there. We we have horse and hounds, we've got your horse, we've got all the main horsey mags, and they're great, but but they don't really speak to us as more natural uh, horse owners or horse keepers. No, there's not an awful lot in there about what it's like being barefoot or track systems or, or diet and management. There's not really an awful lot in there. So I laughed at that and thought, 
I'm not going to do that. What do I know about making a magazine? I'm, I'm no, <laughs> I'm no publisher. And then it, it, it started eating away at me. And then eventually I thought to myself, oh God, it can't be that difficult, can it? I'll give it a go. How difficult can it be? I'll, I'll just get a load of stories from my clients and I'll, I'll just create something. So I, I started online and we did the first four issues online and I quit quarterly and I quickly realized that I was getting very much out of my depth. And I, I'd started something that I didn't really know that if, if I was going to be able to continue because actually publishing a magazine, even online in those days, meant that you 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 have to have stories. You've got to fill up your yes. magazine. You have to have articles and, yes. and you have to go find people to write articles. You can't just write it all yourself. No. Uh, and you've got to get nice pictures and you have to have it designed nicely. And yeah. and one thing led to another and eventually I had to start getting help. So that's how the magazine began to grow. And, and in the first, probably the first, I don't know, seven or eight years of the magazine's life, it didn't really make any money. It was money that I was plowing into it to, to pay for the people that were that were either designing or the printers when we eventually went to print because so many of the of our readers wanted a, a lovely magazine to read. And that's one of our lovely selling points is the fact that this is at such a beautiful coffee table magazine. It really is. It's lovely to touch. It's lovely to feel. The pictures are, are gorgeous. <laughs> and yeah. and, and readers, readers hate giving their magazines away because they know that <clears throat> once our print copies are gone, we don't tend to do another print run. And, mm. and oftentimes we'll get people, you know, emailing us saying I've lost my issue 21 have you got any more copies and we're like no I can't get it back I gave it away to somebody and I don't know where it is so so it became um it became a thing it's it it just became its own uh I, I suppose eventually it, it took off to a point where it it, it we couldn't stop it and and it started making more money for us but not a great deal and even to this day the cost of printing is massive printing yeah. and shipping is huge it costs us a fortune so the magazine itself doesn't make itself an awful lot of money but it sort of wipes its feet before it, as it goes through the door it's it's able to sustain itself but we do it we do it really for the love of of the magazine really and because so many people love it all over the world but magazine publishing nowadays is, is not an easy business to be in because of the costs that are involved no. with it but yeah so that's that's the is, magazine is it only about hooves then or is it no it's called the barefoot horse magazine because we definitely did not want it to be about the hoof we definitely did not want it to be just about the hoof no it barefoot having a horse that's barefoot and having a successful barefoot horse that's not foot sore that's healthy is all about the lifestyle and and that is what the magazine is based on it's based on stories from other owners all over the world that have taken the shoes off their horses or have just turned their horses lives around that may not have even had shoes in the first place but had become sick and and poorly and it's about the lifestyle. It's about showing people that you can achieve great success with all horses. It's It really just depends on how you feed them and how you manage them and the right kind of hoof care. So that's the basis of the magazine. It's, it's sound, healthy horses that don't need shoes. 
and that succeed. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. And you know, I I have heard so often in uh, when people speak about uh, hooves. Yeah, if you don't have shoes on your horse, you're not serious. Mm. Um, That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I we we chatted slightly a little bit offline, didn't we? When we spoke about the fact that I've always said that it will take some very high profile competitors to reach the lofty heights of something like the Olympics before many people and many companies will start sitting up and going, oh, hang on a minute, there might be something in this. And in fact, that's exactly what we've just have, have had with uh, Peder Fredriksson and Henrik von Eckermann, who both of them got gold as part of their three uh, rider team event in the show jumping in the Tokyo Olympics and of course Peda got silver mm. in in the individual and Enrique was just pipped to bronze in in that in that uh, in the individual show jumping so and of course they're barefoot and have kept their horses barefoot for quite some time and Peda and his father Ingvar Fredriksson who is a vet have been looking at and and researching how to get horses healthier, healthier hooves, healthier minds, healthier bodies, which of course are then going to be better, stronger, healthier competing horses for years now. And they've been involved in a project called the Brostrap Project in yeah. Sweden. I don't know if you know about that. Yes, I'm from Sweden, so. Ah, so you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> ah, I'm, I'm I really do. <laughs> Yeah, so they've been involved with that, which is all about turning youngsters out in a herd until for 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 a few years until they're ready to to move on, so that they become healthier, more balanced, more naturally balanced individuals. And since winning in the Tokyo Olympics, other um, industries that are aligned with the equine industry are starting to wake up to what's going on and. We now see that Agria, which are a huge in, uh, animal insurers throughout yes. the whole of Europe, mm. are now being involved in more research to look at the differences between barefoot and shoeing. And they've just funded probably one of the most high level pieces of research we've ever had with regards barefoot versus shod and it's oh the information and the data is only just starting to be released now it's, it's gradually being released and analyzed over the last few months and it, that what's coming out points to everything that we've always known which yeah. is barefoot obviously is yeah. better for these animals but i i think you have not uh, you had only the choice with shoes if if the horse was uh, sawed in in their feet, uh, but now it's coming out with boots and everything, so you have another choice today than you have twenty years ago. Absolutely, one hundred percent. And even even in the just the last five years, the boot technology is is really taken off. There's mm. there are so many companies now from Norway to Spain, to Finland, to Australia, to America, to Canada. These are all companies that are bringing out hoof boots for all different sizes of hooves. It, it, it's very difficult 
actually nowadays to find a boot that doesn't fit a horse. Of course, when you're up at the, the very extremes and you have the very big, big horses, then that can get a little trickier. Mm. But, if, but Cavallo brought out their big foot boot and many other companies such, of, such as Explorer and Flex are bringing out very tiny boots. The, there are so many boots out there now and, and there really isn't an excuse to feel that you need to nail a shoe on when there is such a lot of other uh, other technology out there if you like it's not technology is it but but other ways of of protecting the hooves if you like and, and helping the horse when they're not quite able to go completely barefoot and might be a little bit foot sore mainly because of obviously the diet and the management but trimming obviously has mm. um plays a big part in that too but the hoof boots we see now are just yes they're just incredible and the and they last at least 20 times longer than a shoe so it's a bit it's, of a no-brainer to be honest it's cheaper now yeah it is <laughs> when you when you count it up yeah it is and and they are quite incredible that the composite materials that they use in these hoof boots are excellent and the grip that they have is excellent and gradual uh, one of the excuses for not using boots that people would come up with was that I, I'm not allowed to compete with hoof boots on. I'm not allowed to go into an arena wearing hoof boots. So therefore I have to have my horse shod. Well, that's already starting to change because the FEI have just come out and accepted scoop boots uh, okay. as one of the boots that the only boots at the moment, as far as I'm aware yeah. in, in competitions, they are allowing show jumpers to wear hoof boots in competitions in the, the FEI have now brought in a new rule and scoop boots are there leading the way. So it's, it's fantastic. It's an absolutely amazing time to be in this industry. And I feel that, uh, that others like us, the, uh, like Hoofing Marvelous, which is our organization are really holding the equine well to a to a account because they really do need to be if you're if you're still coming out with the same information that you did 25 years ago like mm. we did with sunny and laminitis you know yeah. <laughs> and we're still having horses put to sleep because of this desperate sickness and horses are getting worse and not better mm. then it's time to look at the system and look how broken the system is yes you were talking about the diet as well. Uh, I have to ask you because I'm much to diet. Um, how can't you give them hay, or or how did you? Well, it's it's yeah. actually it's it's very much it's it's very similar, in fact, to to humans. We've we've been fed over processed foods for for too long now, and it's beginning to affect us and our bodies. We have forgotten about what species specific means or species appropriate. People have forgotten that these are specialist animals. Horses are specialist animals and that feeding them feeds out of plastic bags that have been produced by, by companies who have not looked into the research at what horses actually eat in the wild. Nobody has. Nobody's gone out there and gone, OK, let's let's follow Let's follow what these horses are eating. What they've done is that they've researched racehorses and, and, and a great deal of scientific research that is out there that's based on the, the 
the amounts of vitamins and minerals, those macro micronutrients are really based on the things they found out with racehorses and, and re the research on racehorses. And of course, they aren't kept in a natural environment. They are not kept naturally. So wow. that kind of information is very flawed. And what we found, not by mistake, but by understanding the the gut, the they are monogastric herbivores and understanding how their gut works and how they get energy that it, it's important to understand that fiber is the is the cornerstone of every mm. equine's diet, whether it's a a donkey or a zebra or a um or a horse. The the fiber is the cornerstone <clears throat> of their diet. And that's all to do with the hind gut. Our problem is is that we overload our horses with these simple sugars that they get from grass and from bag feeds and molast feeds. And even supplements where they can be, they, they, the, the horses are suffering from hypernutrition and hyper supplementation where owners are so desperate to find the right food or the right supplement to help their horse because they're very aware that their horse has got problems with their feet or their bodies. Mm. And so they're searching and searching for a miracle feed yeah. or supplement to 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 help their horse but of course that's not the answer the answer is what you take out rather than what you put in so it's about stripping the diet right back and when we go to a a client that has a horse that's laminitic which to be fair as shocking as it might sound majority of domestic horses show clinical signs not subclinical but clinical signs of low-grade laminitis and have been showing those signs for a long long time and so when we go to a client that has a horse who is in a pretty desperate way with with problems with laminitis the very first thing we do is we strip their diet right back and we say to the owner if you want us to help you do this then you're going to have to do a few things and one of those things is you're going to have to go and find a hay supplier that provides you with a mixed meadow hay that has absolutely no rye in it whatsoever hmm. that you're not that you're going to take out all the bag feeds you're going to take out all the supplements and and when you start saying this to the owner they're like wow yeah i realized that i feed loads and owners change too they'll be feeding one feed and they'll think yeah this is this is, i like this feed my horse likes this and then then a friend will tell them about another feed and then they'll change they'll go oh, I, i've had enough of that feed now i can't get hold of it now so i'm going to change to another feed or another supplement so owners spend their lives ping-ponging back and forth and through different feed companies different bag feeds different products different supplements all kinds of things that they they are constantly trying out on their horses mm. and the and the effect of course is that it it, it has a, a devastating effect on the microbiota in the hind gut. And that's the biggest problem that horses face. So, so we strip the diet right back. We, we go to a full 24, seven, three, six, five mixed meadow hay diet uh, with a, just a salt mineral block that the horse can take if it wishes and water and movement and company. And it's mm. as easy as that. That's how we start. And then we do that for six months. We see huge improvements, massive improvements. Mm. And then if there are issues on, on top of that, if we're starting to feel that the horse 
needs a little bit extra, then we deal with that at the time. But do you know something? Um, most of the time, most horses thrive just on a 24-7, 365, good mixed meadow hay diet. No grass, no addition of the grass. And they wow. thrive. They look healthy. They're sound. They're fit because they're moving all the time. And their hooves are trimmed correctly yeah. to it to their natural foot as opposed mm. to what the human thinks that they should be trimmed yes. towards and of course once they're out moving around 24 7 365 in a herd even if it's a herd of two they start looking after their own feet quite quickly and your job as a as a trimmer is is actually easy because you just turn up and you just do a little bit of a trim it, sometimes not much at all Yes, because the horse is really doing most of it themselves. Mm. So this is what you get when you change the diet, the management, the, the the trimming side of it becomes so so easy. So it's it's what we're teaching now. We started our school just over just exact almost exactly a year ago, in fact, and we've got thirty students in our school already. We take in two. We're now taking in two intakes a year at the moment. So we've got thirty students going through our two-year professional course. And it's teaching, it's teaching barefoot specialists. It's not about teaching them to be a trimmer. That's obviously a part of their, their profession, but it's about teaching them about diet, about management, about horsemanship, and also about the trims. So it's those four areas that, that our barefoot specialists become specialists in. And that is what will help change the world for an awful lot of equines and hopefully we'll drag the equine world kicking and screaming into the 21st century let's hope <laughs> yeah sounds great two years yeah they mm. they really will be specialist then mm. that's fantastic yeah as i said it's it's like the rings on the water it's just 100 percent. yeah and i never i never wanted to be someone who taught other barefoot professionals I wanted to teach owners that was my thing I, I, we've been going and doing workshops around the UK and parts of Europe for many years now for 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 15 nearly 15 years and it, that was that's where we get the huge buzz we love that we we go we do about six workshops six or seven workshops a year three-day workshops where we we travel around to different areas wow particularly in the UK and we see people in person and we change owners lives we change horses lives because people leave the workshop these workshops and go right I know I know I've been overdoing it mainly largely and now I need to strip back and just make it make life a lot more simpler uh saves them an awful lot more money too and this is what we've been doing for years but we found as these workshops because we fill every single one up and as as these workshops have just become more and more popular more people from around the world have, have started contacting us or have been contacting us over the last few years wanting this information and obviously wanting us to travel to their country which we we can't do for a three-day workshop so we have now designed we've taken this three-day in-person workshop and we've created an online version so people no matter where they live in the world can take part in in this online online foundation horse and hoof care course and they they get to see us as in person well virtually like we're doing now yeah and they and they get lots of lessons they get a dedicated learning platform it's a really fantastic course 
and we launched that about a month ago so we're still in the early stages of that course but to get onto our two-year professional course we don't just allow people to apply and uh, that we don't know we only allow people to become uh, to, to we only accept people onto our professional course that have either been on an in-person three-day workshop or have been on our online foundation course so we take people from all over the world our, our two-year professional course is largely based online we do have two weeks one in the first year and one in the second year that they we have we all get together in person uh, and that will be in North America, the, the Europe, and in Australia or New Zealand. And we will get together in person, but for the rest of the time, it's like this. It's virtual and it's lessons too, that they yeah. pre-recorded lessons. So it's a, it's a really extensive course, well over the two-year course itself is well over 250 hours of, of content. Oh. It's enormous <laughs> we've crammed it we've crammed it into two years but with with not that many breaks had we given it enough breaks similar to a traditional school or college then this would definitely span three to four years worth of wow. information but we're kind of cramming it into two years <laughs> wow yeah is it expensive work. to to get educated or well, it's like any education these days. You, it's not cheap. Of course, it's not cheap. No, we think no. that our product is is really undervalued. We 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 we've mm. got people are paying for our product right now who are saying, "My God, you know, we've get we got so much more than we expected," and yeah. and that's how it will be for a while. We've only had the school launched a year, so we're still feeling our way in this in this area too. We're, we're, teaching professionals and 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 price brackets are always difficult to hit the right price bracket but so far yeah. so good what we're hearing mm. is that what we're doing is great and if anything um we're we are not giving it the value that it needs but that's okay for the moment we've got 30 students like i said and we've got more lined up for joining us in september so it's very 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 exciting very exciting time yes really really that's a big mm big project mm, it is a big project and it's just taken off it's just got I don't know you know um when we had the magazine and I was out there as a, a professional barefoot specialist and then I taught a few other people to join us and and we had six of us across the southwest six or six professional barefoot pros that were part of hoofing marvelous and it, it's just snowballed. People are desperate for this information. People want to change the ones that become pros. They just want to change the world. They want to change the equine world. They want to help other owners and other horses, mainly because they've been through it themselves. Yeah. So many, and we have such a broad range of people that are on our courses from doctors to post ladies to nurses to teachers, to, to people who are in the horse industry and, and many that aren't. But these are all people that have been in their own professional industry that have been kind of let down by the equine industry and have gone, I, I, I've helped my horse. Now I want to go on and help other people. And yeah. it's, it's incredible how, how that's, be, how this has happened in fact. And, and, yeah. The equine world have, have, have not done themselves any favours, really, the traditional equine world, because 
Well, they kind of haven't. They kind of haven't. So they haven't because there are too many people out there that have been failed by the system. And so therefore they're moving forward themselves. But equally, if they hadn't been failed by the system, we wouldn't we wouldn't be in this situation. So no, here we are. Right. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. And and the industry is going from um, from food to hooves instead. <laughs> yeah, because, yeah. Uh, there's a lot of people that will that will be without work when when you don't need so much food for the horses and supplies, uh, but they can make. Um, uh, boots instead yeah. yeah well yes and and this is progression this is what happens yeah. in any industry you there are people who are very firmly rooted in the past who don't want the equine world to progress mm. and are quite happy the way it is thank you very much and there's lots and lots of jobs out there for people to do but those jobs can change people yes. can can do other jobs that are related to keeping horses more species specific. Now we've got commercial track liveries. Now that wasn't something that anybody had ever heard of 10 years ago. Now we have these track liveries, these people, particularly in the UK, but they are spreading around the world now, where instead of being a traditional livery yard where owners keep are forced to keep their horses in a very specific way e.g in book in stables or boxes mm. with a bit of turnout now we've got situations where we've got these track liveries these commercial track liveries popping up all over the uk at the moment where owners can keep their horses in a herd mm. they're fed a species specific diet they're yeah. kept barefoot and they are doing so well it's incredibly yeah. exciting it's 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 moving it's changing and again, uh-huh. many of these people that are that are doing these liveries aren't people that that were involved in that in the past. They've they've found success with their own horses on tracks, and then have gone right. I'm going to open this up to for other people. So it's mm. it's it's a very exciting time. So there are jobs out there, but it's a yeah. change. It's progression. It just moves. And the horses get their lives back and somehow. The yeah. yeah, and the horses get their lives back. A lot of these commercial track liveries have rehab tracks where they're just taking on horse after horse after horse that has been that is poorly, that is that has laminitis, that has issues with their hooves, and mm. they show time and time again that these hooves and horses recover once the shoes are off and once these horses are in a more natural environment and they're fed fiber 24 7 365 they're not fed grass they're they're kept in herds it's they become calmer i think a lot of people are very worried a lot of owners that that don't really understand the how the herd dynamic works they're very frightened that if you keep horses in a herd they might not be able to go and get their horse out but that's not the case at all horses in herds that are fed naturally that are kept moving naturally 24 7 365 are calm horses want to be calm yeah. They don't actually want to be uh, animals that are, are are scary animals that are that are high spirited all the time. They are actually very calm individuals. Horses in general, of course, they have a bit of play and they have some fun, but in general, yeah. they are very calm and peaceful animals. Hmm. Yes, and if people want to find you, where where can they find you and? So they can find the Barefoot Horse magazine. They th- that is on Facebook, and if they search the Barefoot Horse magazine 
on Google, they'll find that it, it will come up at the top there and they can go and find the website. They can buy one issue. They can buy back issues. They can buy it in print. They can buy it in online or they can subscribe. And at the moment, we have an, a, an amazing offer because we have we are giving people who take out an annual print subscription or an annual print and online subscription we are giving them the a course called the hoof uncovered course and this is a two series course the five webinar lessons in each one they get free, two free ebooks with it so they get over 11 hours of of content all about the hoof it's about a deep dive and a fun journey through the hoof looking at all the different aspects of the hoof we break it right down to the hoof wall and the and the white line and the lamina and the soul and all of the different parts of the hoof we break it down and we take you on a journey through that so that's free to everybody who takes out an annual print or annual print and online subscription before June the 30th. So that's very exciting. Wow. Uh, and if you want to find out about the school, about the other courses that we do, that's the HM International School of Horse and Hoof Care, part of Hoofing Marvellous, both of which you'll also find on Facebook or Instagram. We're, we're around. You'll find us if you go look. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure. And you're getting a bit bigger and bigger. Yeah, yeah. And we put on yeah. free webinars too. So we put on free webinar lessons. My Myself and my colleague, Gary Hinton, we've got a series of webinars we're doing at the moment. And again, if you go to the HM International School of Horse and Hoof Care, that's schoolhmi.com schoolhmi.com if you go there there's a webinar page and all those webinars are totally free and the ones that have passed they're on demand still so you can still register and watch them free and things like laminitis navicular diet the right trim stuff like that that the owners really need to know yeah so we're, we're, we're trying hard <laughs> i can hear that you're a busy woman <laughs> really yeah, we, yes. yeah it's all for the horses oh that's fantastic Thank you very much for taking the time to be here today. I'm so excited to get it out to people and I hope all of you would have a look at it and um, thinking about buying also. Thank you and so much for having me. I'm sorry, I probably talked rather a lot. <laughs> that's good. That's nice. We want to hear you, want to hear what, <laughs> what you have going on and of course you had a lot to talk about as well <laughs> so <laughs> thank, thank you, you thank you very much and thank you to you out there who have been looking or listening to this and i hope you will subscribe and uh, until next time see you then bye bye okay. bye 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 bye